Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me, as always, in this probably most depressing series we've ever done, Nick. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, this is the good, this is the series you're like, I wish I was at NTC again. <laughs> Simmer down. <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> um, so... Nick, when I say the words Khmer Rouge, do they mean anything? Like, do those spark anything in your head? Murder. Murder. It, that's that's pretty fair, actually. That's the that's the entire <laughs> series. Thank you for uh, thank you for paying attention. Uh, um. So yeah, I think so. Going into this, I realized that this not only fits our podcast because it involves a lot of military action, but also, um. Western knowledge on the Cambodian genocide is not good. Um, it's a very complex situation that people probably don't realize the ins and outs of. Nor like absolutely, most people just assume that, like for instance, the Cambodian genocide is just the Khmer Rouge starving all of its own people, which is not true. Like, um, or they don't realize there's like specific ethnicities and religions targeted during this time. They also don't realize that the U.S. had a hand in creating the Khmer Rouge. Really? Uh, yeah, it's not great. Um, <laughs> CIA? No, not this time. Though not kind of. Well, we'll get there. Um, and I've been researching this for a couple months since normally these long series require a couple books to go through. Yeah, um, I imagine. Yeah. How's your brain? It's. I am psychically damaged um this is the most depressing amount of research i've ever done um and it's weird because like you know my the thesis that i had to write in order to get my degree was on the armenian genocide because i i studied genocides this is worse really for so it's just so bleak and hopeless um so i'm gonna start off i'm gonna start off every episode of the series with a content warning or a trigger warning of everything just fucking everything. Just so much... Just If you have some kind of trigger, this series will do it. Um, and also, someone that knew that I was... Um, I was researching this requested that we do another fun animal fact thing. Uh, so a long time ago, Rich and I talked about <laughs> Unit 731. Uh, which before now was pro- bullshit. I wanted to do that one, but I missed it. Of course, the NTC, uh, which was probably the bleakest episode. I, I believe someone's trying to do like a March Madness bracket of our most depressing episodes. Um, I look forward to seeing it oh. after the series. Um, and 
whenever she had heard enough, she could request a fun animal fact. Um, so Nick, that power is now in your hands. All right. So how do I use this power? Do I, uh, you just need to, it's like taking a knee. Like I'm, I'm going to need an animal fact. Oh, there's no like secret word for it. Like no platypus. And then it just happens. No, no, I, I need, exp- I need explicit commands that you need an animal fact. Um, how many do you have already lined up? I have a website called goodnews.org of uh, <laughs> 10 animal facts to make you smile. Uh, which should right, be enough to get us through page. the first episode. Yeah. Um, it, <laughs> it, yeah, like I said, um, it, and I, I have a pronunciation guide, so I'm going to try not to fuck up uh, Cambodian <laughs> names. We all know that's not going to work. Uh, I'm going to fuck them up. I'm sorry. If there's any Cambodians listening, I love y'all. I apologize ahead of time. Um, also, this is not going to be an exhaustive history. This is not like... All of Cam- this is not the Cambodian history podcast. I am my main goal was attempting to do the most easily that be something right. Uh, I'm woefully unqualified. Um, <laughs> right. I, I, what my goal was is to create an easily consumable uh, a primer on the Cambodian genocide and maybe the more, more, the most easily consumable one in the Western world in English. I don't know if I'm gonna, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm gonna hit that. But I'm going to try. Um, so the reason why we're doing this is that the ge- this genocide carried out by the Khmer Rouge is one of the worst crimes in modern history, uh, carried out by a government by its own people. And the Khmer Rouge is one of the most insane homicidal governments in human history, so much so that even ISIS would probably think they took it a bit too far. Um, yeah. Uh, now, the, this the, this genocide... And the Khmer Rouge is probably the first thing, or like the Killing Fields or S21, which we'll talk about in episode three, um, is probably the first thing when Western minds think of Cambodia, think of, because this is very recent history. Like this shit was uh, resolving itself while I was alive. Um, You only missed it by a couple of years. Uh, So like, this is very recent history. That's fucking recent. Yes. Um, like most people think that like when we think of genocides, we're thinking the Holocaust or the Armenian genocide, which are, you know, a hundred years ago in some cases, um, obviously the Rwandan genocide happened, um, and you know, the, the Bosniak genocide happened and things like that. But most people like to think that we are so far past that, but we are not, <laughs> we're definitely not. Um, so in genocide studies, uh, which is the field that I come from, uh, the actual going to be the worst studies. It's it's real. It's real grim. <laughs> um, it's more of it's a study of history, obviously, but it's more of a study of historical human psychology. Uh, it, like the actual acts of killing or the industrialized violence that some of these regimes create is not the most important part of the study or the crime, in my opinion. Um, instead, what's most important, at least to me is how a nation of m- normal people uh, tore themselves apart and how we always generally think... Um, I know I've, I've had Rich on this show a whole bunch of times and you know we've talked about Nazis fucking for probably 50 hours at this point. Um, and we always come to like, oh, they must be fucking crazy people. They're not. <laughs> That's why one of the most uh, aptly titled books ever is a book called Ordinary Men about people who committed the Holocaust. Uh, it's the study of how you take like normal functioning, rational human beings 
and turn them into animals. Um, and it's because humans are kind of bleak if you push them the right way. And we're going to talk about how exactly that happened. Isn't that fun, Nick? Aren't you happy? Yay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so Hold sorry. On. Where's my whiskey? There it is. <laughs> but in order to get to what became Democratic Kampuchea, uh, we have to talk about a little bit about the history of Cambodia. Uh, Cambodia has had many different names over the years. Um, it has had several different empires and kingdoms. Uh, the most important and the one that Pol Pot, the leader of the Khmer Rouge, would attempt to um, kind of reflect is the Khmer Empire. Though he's a big dumb idiot and completely misunderstood a lot of things. Um, so a lot of these different places encompassed what we consider Cambodia or bits and pieces of it. But for simplicity's sake, there's only a few names I'm going to use for Cambodia during this podcast. Cambodia, Anchor, and Kampuchea. I will use those terms interchangeably. Um, mm. because I know the Cambodia one. Yeah, that one sticks out. Uh, anchor is used... Um, Keep us ships there. <laughs> so it means like Angkor Wat, which is like a, a religious uh, site. And... Um, it is used interchangeably by the Khmer Rouge to mean the government, the people, and also the nation, despite the fact that they changed the name from Cambodia to Democratic Kampuchea. So, like, there's some, at some point, they'll be like, do not do X and Y to anchor. And it means, like, the government. It's supposed- it sounds like an organic drink. Kampuchea. Yeah, it kind of. Yeah, it's the one that will kind of make you blow slightly over in a breathalyzer test. Um, yeah. Uh, now, uh, Cambodia has a long history of conflict, for the most part, against its neighbor, Vietnam uh, and Thailand, uh, which was then called Siam. These conflicts eventually led to the Cambodians being ganged, gang stomped by pretty much all of their neighbors and losing control of their own affairs. And uh, at one point, the Thai and the, uh, the Vietnamese controlled Cambodian affairs together, leaving the Cambodian king in place as a powerless figurehead. This carried on until the 1800s. Uh, the Cambodian king was worried uh, that eventually the two countries would get sick of all the red tape of like playing that they have a king in place and just kind of absorb them officially. And more importantly, the king was probably worried that he wouldn't get to be king anymore, uh, which is what most kings are worried about. <laughs> I have to get a fucking job? Fuck that. Um, <laughs> uh, that's when the Europeans saw an in. A British agent noted that the Cambodian king would easily throw himself at any European power in order to preserve what he considered Cambodia. Uh, they eventually found that power in France. Um, thankfully, France has a, has a not problematic history in Southeast Asia. Oh, oh wait. Yeah, it does. Uh, France had already been over the border in what we consider Southern Vietnam, which would actually become South Vietnam for a very short period of time um and we're making plans to take over the rest of it so moving next door to cambodia would only make things easier for them the king invited the french in to become cambodia's official protector in 1863 he thought the french would be there to ward off invasions and threats um which is 
Just very naive. Um, that's when the king got a taste of good old European colonialism. Uh, the French well, were, were not believing. Yeah, um, that steal. It's like you know they obviously <laughs> were only being nice to Southern Vietnam. Why don't we invite them next door? Meanwhile, the 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 Vietnamese in the South are like you fucking idiots. <laughs> you fucking losers. Wonderful self own. Um, that's a, that's what we call an own goal of history. And like. The French did did this a lot. Like they kind of snuck their way into Vietnam through Catholics. Uh, Those <laughs> bastards. <laughs> like uh, they had uh, like Catholic missions because you know normally religious missions are are, are one of many like fingers on the hand of uh, of white imperialism. Uh, and they had like ca- going somewhere else with that. Uh, n- normally the Catholics do. Um, and what would happen is the Catholics would have a mission there and then it would be like attacked by the locals because like, get the fuck out of here. We don't want you here. And then they would reach out and be like, hey, we're being attacked for just being Catholic. So the French would send like soldiers in to be like, hey, if you attack the Catholics, you attack France. And they're like, oh, wait, we actually need more room to secure these churches. We should probably expand up. You know what? We should just make a settlement. Uh, and then it sounds awful. It, that, the, the, the roots are just in too deep at that point. At that point, like it's cancer and you can't cut things out anymore. Um, so, yeah, the, the French took over everything while the monarchy remained and the king's power extended literally as far as the house he lived in. Um, you know, just which honestly, he was probably fine with. He's like, wait, I don't actually have to do anything and I can still be king. Word. This works fine for me. Yeah. While colonialism is terrible and imperialism is evil, the French should carry out some reforms that I guess we have to point out are good, like outlawing slavery. So good job, I guess. Oh, all right. But, you know, then unfortunately, they didn't just like leave. Uh, they continue to be there and do French stuff. <laughs> um, throughout all this time, there's a con- there's constant revolts in Indochina, which is what mo- the French can- called all these areas. Um, and these revolts would eventually be taken over by the Japanese during World War II. Uh, and, you know, there was some anti-Japanese movements that were fomented by the French, the U.S., and Japan being shitty. Uh, but there was also pro-Japanese uh, parts, mostly because the Japanese would be like, yeah, if you side with us, we'll let you be independent. But in reality, it means it's like a puppet government. Uh, and then, you know, J- Japan lost. Um, so, like, the, the, the Cambodian Japanese puppet state was in place for about four months. And then Japan tasted nuclear hellfire and surrendered. Um, and then the, the, they weren't a state anymore. And uh, France immediately reabsorbed them all um, because that's what they're going to do. Um, oh, it's like your mom breaking up with the uh, the guy and then getting back with the other guy. Yeah, except like much darker way because it's not like they had a choice. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um now, there's a thing that always happens when, it, like, this happened throughout most places in World War II, right? Like, the especially in Asia, where Japan swooped in and took over a lot of colonial territories. Uh, the people that rose up against Japan for being assholes realized, like, wait, we don't want the white people to come back either. Like, we should just keep doing this. Uh, so, like, nationalism movements start. Uh, and that happened in Cambodia and Vietnam and Laos um, or Laos, sorry. Um, and that they like these national and political movements warmed their way back into Cambodian life all while France was trying to control it. Um, and the, the, the French allowed them to form a government 
and on political parties and stuff, uh, hopefully to like try to keep them to stop shooting at them, which wasn't going to work because they're still there and they're still in obvious control. Um, but in the middle of all of this was a king, King Sihanouk. Um, king Sihanouk was a fucking asshole. Um, he was a head of, technically the head of state and trying to juggle politicians, the French, and various militant groups that wanted Cambodia to be free and independent. The king wanted independence, and he told them that. But he didn't want to throw his weight behind any movement in particular for fear he would lose. Uh, so, like, he didn't. Uh, I see. Yeah, he didn't want to be like, actually, the French are good because, like, all these dudes have guns over here. But he didn't want to be like, actually, independence is good because then the, all those dudes have guns over there. So he, he was the huge douche about it and just kind of played both sides. Um, he talked to the French just about constant backpedaling. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he's a king, but he'd make a great elected politician, uh, which he will try to do. Spoiler alert. Um, so he talked to the French about you know gradual movement into independence slowly over time, but also hung out with the Viet Minh, uh, who like were a militant group against the French in Vietnam, but in Indochina in general, and they had camps in Cambodia. Uh, so, like, he would go hang out with militants actively fighting the French and then go talk to the French like, no, you're right, the Viet Minh are bad, actually. Uh, and he wasn't, like, some people would consider it being, like, a sly politician, but he was actually just a giant fucking coward, as we'll find out. Um, one of the groups operating at the time was a loose collection of leftists and non-leftists whose main goal is to kick the French out and get rid of the king. Uh, they became known as the Khmer Isarak, or the Free Khmers. Khmer being the dominant ethnic group in Cambodia, hence Khmer Rouge, okay. all sorts of stuff. Yeah, um, this would become the gene scene of the Khmer Rouge. One of the things that the French had done in colonial rule was allow mostly Cambodian ethnic Khmers, um, normally the children of the elite class, to travel to France to study. One of the men who traveled to France to learn was uh, was the son of a rich landowner who had connections to the Cambodian royal family and actually grew up in the royal palace from time to time. His name was Saloth Sar, but he would go down in history mostly known by his revolutionary nickname, Pol Pot. Because um, Saloth Sar kind of sucks. I mean, it's I don't yeah, I forget exactly why he changed his name because like you know he didn't need a nickname, but. Most people in Cambodia did not know his real name. Actually, most people didn't even know his fake name. But but I mean, nom de guerres are fucking cool. They make you feel like a spy and shit. Uh, it like it's kind of funny because he ended up going to like the same circle of schools and stuff as like Ho Chi Minh. Just several several years later. Uh, really? So, yeah. Um, so he studied radio electronics in Paris, but was a terrible fucking student. Um, in high school, he was held back for a couple of years, and in college, he kept failing. Due to him being a Cambodian elite, however, he was given multiple chances to pass each test. Uh, while he was there, he Fuck. joined some Marxist reading circles uh, and admitted he didn't actually care all about reading about Karl Marx, saying he didn't understand it. But that didn't stop him. Party. Yeah, he, he was a guy that, to me, really seemed like he wanted to be like an academic or like an ideological, uh, ideologically heavy brain man or whatever. He wanted to be like the guy, but he was really dumb at everything he fucking did. Um, he failed like every, uh, until he got his, like his teaching certificate. He pretty much was known as being untrustworthy and dumb. 
Uh, he he wasn't like charismatic at all. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, like he failed his way through reading circles in school and college, and the only reason he kept staying afloat is like he had money. Um, his, well, his family had money. He didn't have money. Van Wilder vibes. I cannot imagine Pol Pot being that much of a party animal because he was such a downer. Um, oh, I definitely would believe he's such a downer. Yeah, uh, he ended up joining the French Communist Party, though, like because it just seemed like the right thing to do for him. However, he didn't really seem to understand any of it. Um, and and some I've talked to people about this. They said this might have something to do with him not understanding French. Complete bullshit. He spoke fluent French from the time he was a child. Uh, so he knew exactly what was going on around him. Um, now, one theorist and asshole he did fall in love with and completely understood was Joseph Stalin. Um, it's going really? to be a bit of a problem. Uh, he also dabbled in reading some Kropotkin, but he kind of missed some lessons there. Um, and Pol Pot watched as things got worse and worse in Cambodia and decided that he should return and become a full-time revolutionary or at least dabble in it in real life. Like he wanted, he wanted nothing more to than to be like in a band of militants out in the jungle and shit, like for like clout, I guess. Um, because he wasn't like an ideological heavyweight. He barely could have a functioning the, like theory based argument about anything he believed in, which is something that happened. Um, we'll talk about a little bit more. Like when he goes to China and meets like Mao Zedong and stuff, everybody's like, This guy's a fucking idiot. <laughs> um, <laughs> who invited this? Yeah. Guy? Um, but he decided he should return. Uh, well, I mean, things had changed a lot while he'd been gone. While he had been in school in France, the uh, the French had gotten their head kicked in by the Viet Minh at Dien Bien Phu, and they could no longer continue to fight uh, for control for the colonial territories. So, it gave Cambodia full independence in 1953, and things had immediately gone fucking nuts. So, like, the, the political life of Cambodia is absolute chaos right now. Um, everything that has... Anything that anybody knows how to work and everything since they've been alive is now completely uprooted. So the like the political realm of everything in Cambodia is uncharted waters. And he knew that he wanted to be there to try to like, I don't know, instill his version of communism. Um though that's that's the Khmer Rouge side of the story. Uh, what really happened is he failed every single fucking test he took for two years and got kicked out of school and could no longer stay in <laughs> France because he had a student visa. Uh, the independence thing just kind of gave him a good excuse. Um, so Pol Pot returned to Cambodia the same day the king had fired the entire government and began ruling as a dictator. Um, nice. Yeah, so good timing. Um, during and since the end of the first Indo-Chinese War, the second being the American War in Vietnam uh, in some circles, um, Cambodia had found itself in the middle of a multi-sided civil war and things had only gotten worse with the king acting like a dick all the time as kings generally do. Yeah, we don't, we don't talk about good kings. Nah, no such thing. Because even if they're a good king, they're only good for a king because they're still a king. I played Civilization. I was a pretty good king. I mean, I, look, I know we're both biased here, but we both make terrible kings. Actually, yeah, you're right. I kind of <laughs> fucked my, my society. Yeah, I mean, like, because even, like, Empire Total War, I'm like, everybody has a ton of money. This is great. And I realize, like, <laughs> the only reason why I have so much money is because I conquered the entire fucking world. <laughs> and the tax rate in my, like, colonized area is, like, 90%. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Um, 
like what happened was the king was being such a dick that other princes, because he has several uh, sons, all started their own armies to try to overthrow the king. Who remember they're what? all related to. So like yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, Pole and the rest of his reading circle members who had returned with him decided to join the Khmer Viet Minh, the Cambodian offshoot of the boys who had killed all my grandpa's friends and led him into a death march. No shade, just facts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, one of the few episodes I could bring that up, like, I'm connected to this one, kind of. Um, I mean, that's a good connection, I guess. Yeah, I mean, like, eventually we're going to do a whole series on Dien Bien Phu, and like... Ooh, I can't wait. Yeah, and like... <sighs> I can't call up my grandpa and be like, hey, what happened? One, he's dead. Ooh. And two, when he was alive, he told me to go fuck myself. So like, it doesn't really matter. Go ahead and get a hold of the medium. Yeah. Uh, the medium's going to be like, hmm, you're not going to want me to repeat this. It's all just French slurs. <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, what happened was is the Viet Minh who had kicked out the French and were now attempting to form governments in North Vietnam, also had branches in Cambodia. Um, a lot of Cambodians fought with the Viet Minh, so they're like, okay, let's get some of that over here in Cambodia. So, th- And most of this is uh, Vietnamese-controlled. Um, their cadres are all commanded by uh, like uh, veterans of the war in Vietnam. Um, very few Cambodians are pretty much promoted, which is one of the huge problems that Pol Pot has, and it's a problem that both sides kind of have. Um, they kind of fucking hate one another. Okay, I see. Yeah. A lot of hate going around. Yeah, and like historically, I mean, even though like, you know, one of the major parts of communism technically is like international solidarity, the Vietnamese and the Cambodians fucking hate one another. Um, this Because like, that's just like national history going way far back in time. Uh, it's like... You know, during the Soviet Union times, Armenia and Azerbaijan were technically brothers in communist, but communism, but then immediately started murdering one another. <laughs> like, oh, it, it's all window dressing. Uh, you you can't paper over a, a thousand years of animosity with like Karl Marx's book. It doesn't work. It, like people really like for it to work in their heads, but then it never does. People fucking hate one another. Um and you know, there's legit, there's legitimate historical beefs, and then there's illegitimate historical beefs. This is mostly on territory, uh, so you know, do take that for what you will. Um, but while all this is going on, um, Pol Pot decided to back out of the Viet Minh, uh, the Cam- the Cambodian branch of the Viet Minh, he, uh, because he realized that he was never going to get anywhere. He really hates uh, Vietnamese people personally, and he. Um, he saw that they were mostly being used as grunts, which I don't know why he considered himself above that. He was just a fucking fail college dropout. Like he wasn't kind of an idiot. He wasn't like a fucking veteran of a grizzled war or a tactician. He was just some guy. I once had to take a test for three hours and just did patterns on the test. You have any idea how many tests I failed in France? Um, but and eventually, that's the case. <laughs> yeah, I'd be pretty high up there. In that yeah, in that case, call me the Viet Minh fucking commander. Um, and you know, eventually the King of Cambodia and Hanoi, you know, Viet, uh, North Vietnam at the time, uh, came to an agreement where the North Viet- uh, Vietnamese government would pull all of their agents and stuff out and stop supporting the, the Cambodian Viet Minh branch. And, ni- and that was in 1954. So all the people on the fence 
of bailing out kind of had no choice. Uh, and they also didn't have a lot of their own grassroots networks because they've been kind of working with uh, uh, the, uh, the Vietnamese communists this whole time. Right. So like, the, uh, fuck, what now? Uh, well, thankfully for them, there'd be more driving forces, uh, mostly the king again, because he decided it'd be a great time to get involved in electoral politics, uh, because he realized there's a lot of groups in Cambodia that were pro-independence, really liked how like th- certain things are being ran, but also didn't like a king. So he's like, cool, I won't be a king. I'll be a fucking dictator instead. Same thing, oh. different title. Same, but different. (laughs) Um, So he quit being king, demoted himself to being a prince, kept the monarchy in place just without a king, and then stole an election. (laughs) Sounds like he just did extra steps. Yeah, he absolutely did. Um, You know, he was just as bad of of a technically civilian head of state as he was a a king. Um, But people actually still liked him. It's really some people liked him. Yeah, uh, I, I don't get it, man. There's there's a lot of really big bastards from throughout history. People like they'll people will fawn over them when they walk through the streets and shit. And the, that's even people that, you know, aren't, you know, if you don't fawn over them, your family disappears or whatever, you know, um, now, maybe he was good looking. I guess he's better looking than Pol Pot. I'll give him that much. Um, now, meanwhile, Pol Pot went and got his teaching license and began teaching history, French, How? and morals at a private school, which I don't know about. Did you pay for that license? Yeah, yeah. His family had money. Oh, right. Yeah, I forgot. Uh, which all sound like, you know, wonderful things you want your future communist revolutionary leader teaching. French and morals at a private school. <laughs> um Ooh. And the uh, the government continued to go to hell around him. Sihanouk, it turned out, had a very impressive ability, not in governments, but in pissing people off. Um, the South Vietnamese government attempted to sponsor a coup against him, which failed. The, the North was funding pretty much all leftist opposition, and the U.S. was fueling a right-wing movement led by a guy named Sam Sari. Um, so, like, it, if you have... Like your fingers in the in the Cambodian pie at this point, that certainly couldn't mean anything worse than how I just worded it. Um, I don't know if I would want that pie. Everyone is attempting to to oust Sihanouk from power. <laughs> like there's like five different sides that all fucking hate him. It's great. Um, now, Sari had been a uh, uh, previously been the ambassador to London, but was fired after running a pepper smuggling ring and lashing his servants with a whip. Huh? <laughs> That's a thing? He was running it out of the embassy. (laughs) Incredible stuff. Absolutely incredible. I mean, honestly, running a pepper smuggling ring and abusing people below you sound like two things that make you very popular in London. Um, But it made him very unpopular uh, in Cambodia because when he returned, uh, he realized that Sihanouk really fucking hated him. And the CIA approached him to overthrow Sihanouk because uh, they realized, like, well, this guy's lived in the West. Obviously, he enjoys capitalism because, like, he's smuggling shit and beating people. So, like, uh, hey, this guy's this guy's pretty cool. They're like, look, you're a big dumb idiot, but like, we like you more than Cena. You want to be on our side? He said, sure. Uh, but they were uh, Sam. Sorry, was so bad at being like a secret squirrel guy leading a coup uh, that Cena immediately found out about it. 
And uh, how the fuck are you that bad at? I don't know. Uh, and he openly talked about Sam Sari's uh, plot to overthrow him in public during a speech. <laughs> like, imagine you're an ambassador, like in the crowd with like all the other dignitaries and stuff, and like this motherfucker right here is plotting to kill me, and you're like, ah, fuck. I gotta leave the country. <laughs> uh, nobody knows what happened to him. He vanished. Oh. <laughs> so we can assume he is very dead. Uh, almost certainly Absolutely. assassinated by by uh, the king. Or sorry, the president, whatever. King president. How do you, when you get out of it like that, like, what's your, I don't even know what my first reaction would be. I'd be like, ah. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those like record scratch. Bet you're wondering how I ended up here. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, man, I'm fucked. I am so I fucked. I give the old A, you know? And that's when you, like, turn around to look for your CA handler and just see, like, a cartoonish, like, a dust cloud <laughs> from where he ran away. Um, he gives you the thumbs up before the speech, like, you're doing great. Yeah. And then you turn back, he's gone. Just going into the bush, dressed in CIA stuff and coming back out, <laughs> dressed as a Cambodian, clapping his hands. Yeah. Um, now, eventually, Sihanouk decided to stop playing around this electoral politics thing and just made himself president for life. Um, yeah, which is just a thing that you can do, <laughs> apparently. Um <laughs> uh, after this, Pol Pot ran off from his day job uh, to rejoin a Viet Cong camp and dedicated himself to revolution full time, according to him. At this point in time, uh, while this, all this is going on, uh, Nikita Khrushchev began his uh, process of de-Stalinization of the USSR. Now, like we had pointed out that Pol Pot was a huge uh, uh, Jay Stalls fan, um, he saw this as a betrayal. So he turned his back on the idea of Marxism or Soviet-style communism as a whole. He thought... You know, the Soviets keep getting brought up. <laughs> this will not be the last time. Um, yeah. Well, this is like, you know, that meme, like, friendship with this guy over new best friend, this guy. This is this, this, is this part of the story where he's like... I'm fucking swearing off the Soviet Union. They suck. Uh, and he thought that they needed to come up with their own version of Cambodian-style communism, which he would end up just being like really into Maoism uh, instead. So he just took China's idea and called it Cambodian for the most part. Um, now, Pol Pot and his fellow revolutionary, Son Sen, believed that the revolution could only come to Cambodia if all had come before it, that being the king the Cambodian state, all of that would be destroyed first. Like, so like Cambodian communism to succeed, everything else had to die. Uh, Pol, uh, oh. Pol Pot's ver version of this would ignore city dwellers entirely, considering them enemies, poisoned by modern life. Which in city? Anybody in a city. You're an enemy. Oh, fuck. I grew up in a city. Nick, I have to tell you something. Fucked. There's so many points of this story where I realize, like, I'm dead. Uh, <laughs> I, we would not have made it within th for three fucking days after Khmer Rouge would have been elected. Or not, not elected, but come to power. Uh, like, just he, they believe just living in a city would make you counter-revolutionary somehow. Oh, cool. <laughs> Instead, he would try to grow his movement in the rural areas from rice farmers who are very, very poor and destitute. He decided that the, uh, the Vietnamese government's goals were completely incompatible with his own, despite the fact that they kept bankrolling everything he did to own the king. Uh, Pot wanted to overthrow the government, but Le Juan and Ho Chi Minh didn't want him to start another war, revolutionary or otherwise, uh, because it's 1963 right now. Uh, uh, and, you know, Vietnam is going through some shit and they're like, look, we really don't need this to get any worse. Just like 
pipe the fuck down and let us handle yes. our business. Simmer down yeah. there, guy. We'll get back to Just you, Cambodia. You know? <laughs> uh, it turns out that he, he wouldn't listen and things would only get worse. So oh, he pressed on the gas. Pot. Pol Pot, that is. I feel weird calling him Pot. Like some level of familiarity or something. <laughs> like Pot short for something. Um... Pol Pot Pot traveled to China and made friends with many of the ruling members of the country. And it's there that he witnessed the Cultural Revolution. Now, I'm not going to do like a history lesson on the Chinese Cultural Revolution, but it was a nationwide purge aiming to destroy remnants of the past and end traditions thought to be kind of revolutionary, which ended up just being an insane orgy of violence and famine, it turns out. Um, Oh. And when he when Pol Pot saw the Cultural Revolution, he really liked what they were doing. Like he's like, "This is a very good idea," but they didn't go far enough, uh, which is a oh. huge fucking problem. And he spoke to various members of the Chinese government, and they kind of realized, like, "This guy's really dumb. We can use him." <laughs> like, there's no light behind those fucking eyes. Um, he returned to Cambodia and broke up with the VC, deciding it was time to start a war in his country in 1969. Oh. <sighs> nice. I have to say it. Um, whether North Vietnam liked it or not. So the North broke off the relationship entirely, refusing to give them any weapons uh, or money or, or food at that point. A- anything. Bad breakup. Yep. Fortunately for Pol Pot, China was like, we got you guys. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. Because remember, he's like, we have a useful idiot in place. At, at this yeah. point, it's important to remember that China's like, we don't give a fuck about this guy. We don't care about Cambodia. But he wants to fight. We'll give him weapons. And then, he one, he owes us. And two, he's a fucking idiot so we can control him. Like, they do not think highly of Pol fucking Pot at all. I imagine how many times they said, he's an idiot. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Uh, and like... It should be clear, Pol Pot thought himself equal to Mao Zedong during all of this. He's oh, like, wow. no, I am I am as smart and capable as this man. I mean, I'm not a Maoist by any means. I have no nice words to say about Mao Zedong. But for Pol Pot to say that is like to think that and act like that is kind of incredible. That would be like the, a Mao Zedong bag. I, I bought it in Chinatown in Vancouver, Canada. <laughs> I, I, had I remember to. when you got it. Yeah, uh, like it would be like um, like. Enver Hoaxia of like Albania thinking he's on level with <laughs> Joseph Stalin. Oh, Albania. Shout out to you. Yeah. Yeah. What up, Albania? Uh, like, like the whole concept is kind of out there. Um, but Pol Pot got guns from China, so he went and did gun stuff. Uh, while China was lining this up, someone else had another idea of a way to overthrow the government. The United States. Go ahead and hit the CIA bell because they're back. Uh, the CIA and the United States backed nationalist Law Knoll, who was the head of the Cambodian military, to lead a coup to take over. Um, so Sihanouk fled Cambodia and jumped on a plane to China, where he met with Chinese officials who were also in talks with Pol Pot at the same time. They urged Pol Pot to work with the prince and to take down Long Knoll. Now, remember, the prince is pretty popular. I mean, I would say moderately People were not a fan of Law Null. Fucking hated him. And obviously, people were not fans of what was happening in Cambodia. But they realized that Sihanouk, he's a bastard, but he's stable. Like, with everything going on around us, Sihanouk's our best bet. So the U.S. kicked him out using Law Null. And this isn't much of a secret, even at the time. Um, So 
when I say that like the 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 Chinese urge the the prince, the king, dictator, whatever the fuck he's calling himself this week to work with Pol Pot, they're giving him legitimacy. Like most people in uh, in Cambodia have no fucking idea who Pol Pot is. Almost nobody. More people know who I am right now. <laughs> but everybody knows who fucking Sihanouk is. It would be it's like when a nobody politician from like some bumfuck no nothing town runs for a, an important political office and then like Barack Obama endorses him. Um now Pol Pot originally wanted to tell the prince to go fuck himself because he didn't want to work with him. He's a monarchist, you know, and not to mention he was just plotting a civil war against him. But right. Zhao Enlai, who was the premier of China at the time, told him it'd be a good idea for the legitimacy that they work together. Uh now, so with not to mention uh Sihanouk didn't know the fucking first thing about Pol Pot. He just knew that he was plotting something and also kind of saw him as a useful idiot. They're like, well, if China says that he'll work with me, I'll work with him. Everybody knows who I am. Clearly, I'm going to be the one in charge. Plot twist. Spoiler alert. That does not fucking happen. Oh, I imagine. The world would have been a much better place if someone just put Sihanouk's dumbass back in power. Um... But they decide to work together, despite the fact that you never fucking met or spoke directly. Um, so with that, the two former enemies got together under the grand unifying theory of fuck that guy. In this case, Law Null. They formed the National Unified Front of Kampuchea, or by its French initials, wait for it, Funk. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Hell yeah. <laughs> I laughed way too hard when I found that out. It's in French. Its initials were funk. Like imagine you're living in like a capital under siege or whatever, which happens, right? And they're like, we're surrounded. Who are we surrounded by? The funk. And they're just blaring fucking come on down to funky town. (laughs) The the funk is all around us. You cannot stop the funk. Um, and they went to war. Um, now to rally behind, uh, rally people to this new cause. Sihanouk was the face of it. He gave long radio broadcasts to people telling them to support his new comrade Pol Pot and their armed struggle, despite the fact he had no fucking idea who this guy was. Uh, and uh, most people who joined had no fucking clue who Pol Pot was. What's incredible is like we talk about dictators. We've talked about dictators a lot in this show. They, there's always some form of personality cult, right? Like you see in Joseph Stalin, uh, Saddam Hussein, you name it. You see in all these people. None of that shit happens here. Pol Pot doesn't want anybody to know who the fuck he is, <laughs> which is very is strange. That like a, is that his strat? I it we'll go a little we'll go into it uh, a little bit more when we talk about how they start administrating their new country that they took over. But Pol Pot is not one for the spotlight, which is very weird for a dictator. Yeah, especially um, with the funk. Especially with the funk, you know, you got to put a face to the funk. <laughs> um, now. With this new legitimacy, the funk rapidly grew in size. <laughs> not very, I'm not going to not laugh at that. I'm sorry. Um, but something else happened that probably made all of this possible and would certainly change the course of Cambodian history for all time. As we talked about, Cambodia had long been a hideout and stronghold of the VC and the NVA in the Army of North Vietnam. Use it at various points as well for resupply, hiding from American patrols, bombers, etc. Um, that was actually one of the reasons that the U.S. supported Law Null. 
he was a hardline anti-communist and would not and would not technically allow them to set up shop in the country anymore. And he promised to use the army to root out the communists. VC, whoever the fuck they called themselves, he was going to kill them all. And he did this through terrible military operations and also just horrible human uh, human rights violations, uh, crimes against humanity, extrajudicial executions, secret spy shit, uh, disappearing people off the street. Uh, it, if you were going to make a regime that was scientifically proven to turn people against it, you'd make this con- you'd make this fucking government. Oh wow! Not to mention, we're going to talk about a lot coming up when it comes to the U.S. being involved in Cambodia, invading and dropping ungodly amounts of bombs on it. The Law No government was in support of this because they're really? yeah. Because remember, they're they're tar- they're not targeting the Cambodian military; they're targeting the VC in oh, Cambodia. Right, yeah. So while Cambodians saw American planes bombing the fucking shit out of them. Their own government was like, yeah, <laughs> which is bad. Um, so um, even though the Pol, even though Pol Pot and the, the Vietnamese had a falling out, the, the, the VC needed Cambodia to keep being a VC stronghold to kind of be a side door to fight the Americans supply lines, the works. So the regular North Vietnamese army invaded Cambodia this led to a massive bombing campaign um, by the U.S. and Cambodia, as well as spillover from the Vietnam War, including a land invasion. Um, the U.S. could not have picked a worse person to get a handle on Cambodia. Law Nol was cartoonishly corrupt and only appointed people he liked uh, to important positions were as c- corrupt as him or paid him directly or were just his family members. Uh, also, there was, he, would, he was huge into astrology. Um, and he had like a government funded sage that would like tell him who he should employ based on their star signs and shit. <laughs> He's very fucking weird. Um, He's a Capricorn. You need him. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, he just like greenlit a bombing run on that entire village of innocent people. Cancer move. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, what a cancer. Yeah. Uh, so that's. The U.S. opened like a fire hose of money at him, as they do uh, in situations like this, mostly just to keep the government running because Law and Noel was stealing so much money. The government was fucking bankrupt, despite the fact that like he had a blank check from the United States. Like, look, we will give you as many weapons and as much money as you need. Just keep fighting communists. And Law and Noel's like, sorry, lost that last hundred billion. Can you send me more? <laughs> yeah. It's like cartoonish amounts of money coming out of his pockets. Yeah. Um, this led to his, uh, his army completely ignoring even the most basic training because he had stolen all that money too. Uh, fuck. Yeah, as well as their paychecks. So like people would be oh, conscripted fuck. or like kidnapped off the street to fight in the army and then they just not get paid for it because all of their money would get stolen by their commanders or whatever. Um, nobody's really sure how big of law, uh, how big Law Knoll's army ever truly was given like, so how the money system worked is like, it's actually the exact same thing that happened in Afghanistan. So I know this intimately because I had to live in this. Um, the logistics system is bad, right? They're not just sending out checks to people. You'd have actual pay officers like the U.S. Army used to have. So like, right. um, you know, your the the lump sum for your company or your brigade, whatever's money would be given to the brigade commander, and he would steal some of it before passing it down. 
and then they would steal some before passing done. They would before you oh, get to I the see. actual soldiers, nothing would be left. So it became the best interest of the overall commander to inflate how many soldiers he had because he would be able to steal more money. I can't imagine the soldier all the way on the bottom. Here's your bobby pin. <laughs> at the, at that point, it's just one real soldier. Like I am the only soldier in this division, and I'm still not getting paid. Every, yeah. Everybody else, like they call them ghost soldiers, like soldiers that only exist on the books so commanders can steal more money and then sell more supplies. Could you imagine he's the only one in line and the pay officers just calling up random fucking people's names? Like I saw this firsthand uh, with the Afghan National Police and the and for a lesser extent the a- Afghan Civil Order Police, where like we would have to go to these police stations to take roles, and there'd be like three people there, and they're supposed to be twenty five. Oh. Meanwhile, the commander pulls up on like a brand new Toyota Corolla. He's like, "What's up, guys?" <laughs> <laughs> like you motherfucker, fucking balling, dude. And nobody has weapons because they all mysteriously disappeared. <laughs> and the commander have like a Glock handgun. That costs more than like his his yearly paycheck. Like, huh. oh, cool. All right. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was all bad. Um, and that meant like the, he functionally had an army that only existed on paper. Um, though the U.S. had been dicking around in Cambodia for years, declassified documents show that they had been bombing the country at a somewhat limited basis since 1964. Um, it really oh, ramped wow. up from 1969 to 1970 under President Richard Nixon. Uh, This bombing campaign was supposed to target the NVA and VC forces in support of Law Knoll's ground attacks, but it overwhelmingly impacted civilians as well as crops um, because there were literally carpet bombing by the very definition of it. So we're just destroying everything out in these rural areas, which is where the food is made. Right. So we're just destroying the countryside. Uh, by the end of the American involvement in the Vietnam War, three times more bombs would be dropped on Cambodia than Japan during all of World War II, including the nuclear weapons. Oh. Cool. Um, Fuck, that's a lot. Yeah, and that the U.S. would also launch a horribly planned and thought-out ground invasion of Cambodia in 1970 that accomplished absolutely nothing. Uh, but what this did do, all of this did do, was drive popular support away from Law Knoll if he was ever going to get any, and directly towards the funk. Um, yeah. Gotta use it while I can, because they're not going to be the funk for much longer. Because at this point, the Khmer Rouge is becoming the funk. Like, he is, like, most of the people that this place is recruiting from is the countryside. The same people who Pol Pot wants. Like, the right. cities are held by Lon Knoll. Because almost like most guerrilla wars, the cities are held by the government and the countryside's, you know, Indian country, so to speak. So, like, the um, countryside military-aged males are flooding into the ranks, and uh, almost immediately these guys would be taken away from anything that was not Khmer Rouge-based and given political training. Like, sat down and be given, like, long Maoist and Pol Pot thought speeches rather than, like, anything to do with uh, what Sihanouk probably had in mind. So the Khmer Rouge is vastly more powerful than the rest of this coalition force. And they're a coalition in really name only because Pol Pot knew when the time came, we got to kill these guys. Fuck. Yeah. And in two years, in just two years, the Khmer Rouge quadrupled in size. Um, 
And by now, Pol Pot, who was officially calling himself by that name and not Saloth Tsar, he had a few other nom de guerres at some point, but they're all unimportant. They pretty much controlled the entire country that wasn't a city. Um, now, in areas under control by the Khmer Rouge, at this point, the funk is fucking done. Uh, they pretty much don't exist. They've been muscled out. Um, the officers who were like Sihanouk loyalists are fucking dead. Um, yeah, so at this point, you can just consider the funk gone. The funk oh. is dead. <laughs> uh, at this point, the Khmer it always happens. Yeah, it's it's they were the the Khmer Rouge is the disco of this co- coalition, I suppose. I don't know what came after funk. I, it was disco, I think. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Clearly not music historians. Um, <laughs> yeah. Good thing we're not a... Although I did say we should be a, a Creed tribute podcast. I guess we're, that's not going to happen anymore. Yes. So I would say that the Khmer Rouge did not welcome the funk with arms wide open. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so they weren't Creed. That's no. Good. Uh, they welcomed them like Scott Stapp on a meth bender. Um, Fuck. <laughs> So in areas under control by the Khmer Rouge, they would draft everyone, uh, military-aged males, in, into their army, um, and most boys, like underage people, into the cause. Um, these, are, these are what were known as liberated zones, quote-unquote. Um, but the th- rules they put in place while in control looked like something you'd expect to see in like ISIS-administered Raqqa in Syria. Gambling, divorce, and drinking, and all use of narcotics was now illegal. Because when I when well, I think of communism, I think fun being illegal, and not just like healthcare and food. I don't yeah. <laughs> um, there was uh, you know, forced communalization of goods. Um, and like they also, uh, like you couldn't have extramarital sex anymore. Like you couldn't like if you were single, hooking up, got, got, got you the wall. It was really weird, it, 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 which is why I actually think of like the Khmer Rouge almost as a cult more than the government, because most governments don't control you like this. Even, right. like, even the Soviet Union, like if, uh, during like Stalin's time, if you fucking spoke up, you'd get shot, but you could fuck if you wanted. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. I mean, you don't have to hand it to Stalin, but at least he wasn't sending you to Gulag for fucking. Um, but like, yeah, like you, at the time there's, you know, the, the, the loose coalition is still trying to knit itself way together and the marriage is trying to centralize power, but, um, they weren't very nice about it. This is how, how you can see, like, they're not good at politics. They don't, the Khmer Rouge doesn't do politics. If you're against the Khmer Rouge, the Khmer Rouge simply kills you. Uh, that's just how it worked. Um, and like, it, yeah, this doesn't sound fun at all, but it should be noted in the beginning, if you were a destitutely poor farmer, which a lot of these people were because like bombs destroyed their food, people were starving to death. At first, the Khmer Rouge was an improvement uh, because at the time they'd been raiding so many like government stockpiles and shit. They had food to hand out, like they had rice and stuff, which nobody fucking had at this point because it all been destroyed or centralized back to Phnom Penh, the capital, uh, for like defense and stuff. Right. Uh, so like. At this point, everybody's like, you know, it's kind of weird that we can't jerk off or drink anymore, but, <laughs> but like, at least we could eat. <laughs> like, and that's, that's the I bet thing. You they were all thinking, like, it's just bullshit. Just because our leaders can't fuck doesn't mean we can't fuck. Right. Like, and this is the case with a lot of how, like, despotic groups or agencies or governments or whatever take over is like, okay, they fucking suck, but they're better than what came before. Like, people even said this about ISIS. Like, 
obviously ISIS is bad. However, when they took over, at least we didn't have to worry about bombs going off in the street and we got food. So like if if the bar is set that low, not many people are going to fuck that up. So now let's talk about how the Khmer Rouge fucks this up. Really? I mean, the existence of these farmers is incredibly insecure, right? Like uh, Law Knowles forces are going to accuse them of working with the Khmer Rouge, burn their fucking village down, or the like. Americans are going to carpet bomb their fields. Like at least the Khmer Rouge being in charge. Like, okay, we don't like them, but nobody's like shooting someone for just being here or blowing my goddamn rice crop up. Um, right. So, like, like I said, aim so low that like you, it's hard to fail. But the Khmer Rouge fucks this up. That's my lifestyle. That's what I go by. Yeah, it's like the Simpsons said, is aim so low that if you fail, nobody even notices. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But, you know, as long as you toe the line at this point, existence in one of these quote-unquote liberated zones is better than it probably was before. Uh, Even if you couldn't jerk off or roll dice anymore. Um, Fuck, I'd be dead. God damn it. Yeah, like... (laughs) Going through all the porter potties and randomly opening doors to look for people jerking (laughs) off. Every so every soldier is now executed. Um, this is see, this is like part two of why we die. You first getting there, you're just like, why is there no locks on these portajons? Oh, you just wait. Actually, one one of our comrades is going to stand in front of us and watch to make sure you're only pooping. Like, <laughs> fuck. When you pee, don't don't uh, tap it more than twice. Yeah, if you tap it twice, it's kind of revolutionary. Shit. Um. So this is where things get weird. Soon, they even controlled how people dressed. Uh, you couldn't dress any way you wanted. Instead, you'd have to dress like what they considered a traditional peasant, which was like black huh? pajamas, a scarf, and a hat. Which you, you know, I'm a pretty simple guy. I like simple things. That's not... All right. I uh, deal with that. Even things that could be considered somewhat bourgeoisie uh, were off limits. This included any jewelry or even normal shoes. Um huh? Yes. Uh, the only shoes you could wear were sandals made from old car tires. Ugh. <laughs> oh, it sounds man. like my mom. She's like, you could only have airwalks growing up, <laughs> and they're passed down from your brother, so they're already fucked. God damn they're it. heirloom airwalks. <laughs> oh, fuck. Um, another aspect of their life was collective self-criticism sessions. Um, I believe are, these are called in other circles of leftist thought uh struggle sessions um now what these looked like was groups of soldiers farmers or whoever whatever your group was like if you're a farmer you'd be around other farmers if you're with soldiers or fighters you'd hang out with other fighters whatever group you found yourself in would be forced uh, yes, to clicks yeah um yeah when because that's one weird thing about this is like even though they're like we're all in this together now let me divide you into groups yeah um You'd be forced to sit daily in a room and point out everything that you did wrong that day. Everything. People would also help you in this. Like, actually, you fucked this up. Um, I looked at my penis in- intimately today. I got a boner. Kill him! Yeah. yeah. Um, if you refuse to take part in this, like, you know, fuck, I'm not airing my dirty laundry out. I'm not going to narc on Nick or whatever. Like, if we're in a struggle session together, because that's what this is. It's it's enforced snitching. It so bad. Um. If you refuse to take part or refuse to bring up anything that anybody else did or brought up things like the deemed unimportant, because like just to try to like get you to get the Khmer Rouge off your back, like, uh, well, you know, like I, I pooped more than twice today. 
They're like, that's not that important. Tell me about when that time you jerked off or whatever, uh, or like you drank or you gambled or you took more than your allotted amount of food. Like they wanted the serious shit. You'd be punished. Like they thought that you'd be, you're getting around this. So you'd get punished. So soon enough, people were turning against everybody in their circle to include themselves <laughs> to narc against one another. The the only person that was free from criticism and no criticism could be brought against was Pol Pot himself. Oh, so that guy could just jerk off whenever he wanted to. Oh, he was probably jerking off like mad. Uh, and like, it should be pointed out, that like, if, if someone narked on you for something serious enough, you just get fucking killed. Uh, I'd be on the other side of the room if I got narked and be like, bro, yeah, really? I, th- <laughs> I thought we were cool. Uh, like, that's the thing is like, they pretty much made friendships illegal in the, in, in, in a certain s- sense. Cause like, if I saw you do something bad, I have to fucking narc on you. I would narc back if it was a lie on that guy that narked me out. Well, that you got it already. That's one of the problems. Like that motherfucker, <laughs> I'm taking him down with me. I saw him suck a dick. Like, ah, oh, I, I bet you're going to get executed with me, motherfucker. Like people would legitimately do that, but then they would also do that against people they just didn't like. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Like you created like it's, it's a culture of untrustworthy snitching all around. So that's fun. Um, now, as the Khmer Rouge's power grew, they absorbed other factions within their unit, um, like Sihanouk's Funk, uh, other fringe groups there. Uh, at this point, you can consider the only opposition group to Khmer Rouge. They took more and more lands from Law Null's government, uh, and then private property became illegal, and then forced collectivizations began. Uh, at this point, they're tr- they were, well, at least before this, they're erring on the way of like, actually, it's your choice, but like, you know, it's one of those like pure. They they were using peer pressure at first, and then it was like, well, it's not really working enough anymore, so we're just gonna steal it. Uh, <laughs> and now, like, if there's someone like hoarding a ton of food and people are starving to death, okay, I agree with that. That's not what was happening here. <laughs> um, they were doing forced collectivization from villages that were already starving. Most of these villages already didn't have food because it already been stolen from them by Lawn Knoll. <laughs> So like you are you're already victimizing people who have already been victimized against. Um, though this was in line um, with like one of Pol Pot's plans is like they believe that like oh, we have to strangle off the government. One of the ways we can do it is we control all the all the the food uh, creating areas now. Even if a lot of them are fucked up, like some amount of food and right, mostly rice is being grown out here. Uh, well, now we control it. So now we can strangle off the Phnom. Uh, we can strangle off the regime in Phnom Penh. Uh, the the Vietnamese soldiers who had been sent over to topple Law Nol came into conflict with the Khmer Rouge, leading to firefights between the two sides, as well as massacres. Um, oh, wasn't a lot of prisoners being taken. Uh, one of the ways that the Khmer Rouge fought was like if you say like you're an NVA garrison in some cambodian uh village if you get taken out they're gonna kill your the entire village too just because um and that goes into one of the things that one of the very weird beliefs that pol pot believed in was that like he hated fucking vietnamese people he hated thai people too pretty much hated anybody who wasn't cambodian but he hated people from vietnam even more and just by being around them he believed that you could have you could be what what he called like a Cambodian with with a v- uh, Vietnamese person's conscious or like a soul, like you could be like metaphysically infected just by being around a guy. 
which is very fucking Fuck. weird. It's like communism woo pseudoscience. <laughs> I don't know. So like if you know the NVA or the VC took over your village, you've been infected. Oh god. Yeah. It's very strange, but we'll talk about that more because we'll talk more about his ideology next episode. I'm glad I haven't had to use the fun facts yet. Uh, I I think the fun facts are really going to hit by episode three. Okay, that's the. I think episode three is the worst podcast I've ever made in my life. Oh, okay. I'm, so we're done after episode three. There's a fourth. <laughs> oh, okay. That's even better. Sweet. Um. So um. Yeah. The, so that happened. Um. But you'd be not super shocked because at this point they've been working kind of unofficially because like North Vietnam doesn't like them. However, they're like, eh, if we got rid of Law Knoll, that'd be pretty sweet. So like Vietnam is still working with them to some extent. But uh, Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge started purging those elements from the ranks um, to include like trainers that Vietnam sent over, like actual military trainers. They, they got like chased out of garrisons or shot. Um, they purge anybody with any connection to Vietnam, which will probably not shock anyone when I say Pol Pot himself and his various connections to the Viet Minh and the Viet Cong were not purged. Weird. Right. Uh, you know, purge for thee, not for me. Um, this led to mass killings, um, uh, which turned into a genocide uh, against Vietnamese people in Cambodia. Um, by the end of the Kampuchean government, which is the Khmer Rouge government. Nearly 100% of uh, Vietnamese people in Cambodia, that includes Cambodians of Vietnamese descent, uh, would be forcefully removed or killed. Um, Even those of Khmer descent, but close to them and considered uh, Vietnamese in consciousness, would also be killed. Uh, This became one of a very strange part of a multifaceted genocide that would claim millions. Uh, you could be considered uh, Vietnamese for being married to someone from Vietnam, from being re- loosely related to someone from Vietnam, from having business connections or, you know, whatever. Did you touch a, Viet- a Vietnamese person? We got to kill you. So that is one part of the Cambodian genocide. They also eventually banned religion. Um, monks were stripped naked and murdered. Pretty much all Buddhist clergy fuck? were killed. Um, uh, the faithful families are broken up and sent to different villages. Entire villages are moved around just to disorient people and make them helpless. Uh, soon, even voicing your support for Sienuk would end badly for you. Uh, normally, pickaxe into the back of the head so they could save ammunition. What? Yep. It should be. It's not they ever had a shortage of ammunition. They just didn't believe in using it for that purpose. The only re- the only real penalty for breaking the law seemed to be a death sentence. And because they didn't want to waste their ammunition on anything other than war, like I said, their death sentences were pretty much always carried out through a pickaxe or an axe handle to the back of your head. The Khmer Rouge now controlled the entire countryside, meaning they controlled the food supply for the entire country. Floods of people fearing reprisals for their uh, for whatever problem like connections they had to Vietnam or the old government, uh, and you know, terrified of this weird rubber sandal wearing brigade, flooded into Phnom Penh. Um, like all these people who had loose connections to the government or whoever was considered an enemy of the people, uh, to the Khmer Rouge, which was everybody at this point, um, ran to the capital for safety. 
Um, this had the side effect of because the city had stockpiled food for for like the final battle, so to speak, but not for like this many more people than they originally had. So this burned through the city's food supply within days, uh, and there's no hope of anything else coming in. Uh, people were starving and demanding the government do something to protect them. The problem was Knoll's entire government, both militarily and economically, was propped up by the U.S. And now the U.S. is trying to get the fuck out of Vietnam and have nothing left to do with the Southeast Asia region at all. Uh, his army was running out of ammo and Noel began to retreat into his own brain. He began to only listen to soothsayers and mystics and once began, uh, once attempted to protect the capital with a circle made of magical sand. Hmm? It did what? not work. <laughs> Magic. Magical sand. I assume it was imported by uh, uh, Saddam Hussein's personal wizard. It's <laughs> fucking awesome. Saddam's God. like, don't worry, I got a wizard for that. <laughs> yeah, I got a guy. The U.S. said it would stop bombing Cambodia so the two sides can come together for peace talks. So when they stopped bombing, the Khmer Rouge just ignored it and attacked the capital. (laughs) This oncoming horde of weird murder cultists terrify the Cambodians of the capital. The Khmer Rouge is unique in the annals of history that their leadership was mostly entirely known, at least publicly. Um, Like some people in the Khmer Rouge kind of knew who was in control like at this point they they didn't even call themselves like the communist party the communist like they they didn't publicly call themselves anything like there was no like it can't be a party because they can't have fun so fun is strictly kind of revolutionary so like they just saw like what amounts to be like a faceless horde of people that they don't know who's in charge except they just know wherever they go people die so people are freaking the fuck out at this point, uh, even Sihanouk, who, remember, worked with them and was still tactically their ally, admitted that he had no fucking idea who Pol Pot was, what he looked like, or what he stood for. <laughs> so they still don't know what this guy looks like. Yeah, even within the liberated huh. zones, like they weren't in control of like the funk. They weren't in control of the Khmer Rouge. They simply called themselves the organization, which is the most super villain-ass shit on earth like you know the the organization is in charge now that's all you would know about them you didn't know who the organization was or how many people was in it or anything right that's super illuminati right uh it's illuminati but tire sandals the khmer rouge was uh as a group uh, like the so the inner circle is known as the organization the khmer rouge was simply known as the pre-op prey or the forest army yeah uh, like the the people of the capital just knew that there's weird ass motherfuckers coming from the forest, and I should be afraid. <laughs> and mostly because, like, remember, they're sweeping through these villages, you know, uh, taking what little food they have, killing anybody who stands up against them horribly. Like, if if they're just shooting people at this point, I think most Cambodians would have been like that would have been normalized because the massive amount of violence going on. But like, they're beating people to death that disagree with them, which is like another layer of fear on top of that. Plus they all look the same, like wearing black pajamas, fucking tire sandals, the exact same scarf. Absolutely. No, everybody just has a turgid heart on from not jerking off in eight years or whatever. (laughs) Nobody's having fun. Permanent scowls on their faces. They can't drink or gamble or whatever. Um, Yeah. It's like they had to be terrifying. It's like a faceless enemy. Um, Now, 
On April 12th, 1975, the U.S. knew Phnom Penh was fucked, and they evacuated every U.S. citizen from the area, which is not what you want to see if you live there. Like, no. <laughs> the government itself fled, uh, setting up a government in exile near the Thai border. Noel himself ran as fast as he fucking could, and when he learned that his name was on a Khmer Rouge execution list, uh, he eventually made his way to the U.S., um... And he lived at various points in Hawaii, Michigan, and California until he died in the in the late 1980s. Yep. Fuck, that's where we used to live. Yeah, we as a team are are, are Lawn Knoll, uh, except still alive. Oh, we'd be on the execution list. Fuck. Oh, we would definitely would have been on the execution list. Now, one of the weird parts about this is he left behind his army to continue fighting because, of course, he did. Um, and I, mean, I would too. Yeah, I'd be like, you guys keep. Keep on fighting. I'm, I'm you guys just got it. Yeah, I'll uh, be in my uh, palace as you're getting stepping on a helicopter. Yeah. The first half kind of shaky. You guys got him in the second. Yeah, yeah. Uh, get him right where you want him. All over the place. <laughs> All right, later. Uh, now the that actually had a side effect. At this point, the soldiers knew that like we can't surrender. We'll fucking die. So this led to a battle uh, in like Phnom Penh where like individual groups of soldiers and shit pretty much fighting totally un- unorganized because all their generals have run at this point too, uh, like fighting to the death, like hand to hand combat because they know if they surrender, they're going to die anyway. Um, event- Getting their last bit of masturbating off. <laughs> <laughs> like the people that are like uh, I'm only a, a, a like an admin clerk. I'm probably gonna live. I should probably crank one out now as I'm losing yes. all these leave forms. <laughs> uh, now, um, some people were captured, uh, but they were almost uniformly executed like immediately after. So, like the 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 what remained of Law Knoll's Cambodian army fought to the death. But by April 17th, the fighting was over. And the city fell to the hands of Pol Pot and his weird pajama cult. And that is where we will pick up next time. So this does not portend good things, Nick. No. Um, I, I'm Despite how comfortable pajamas are, nah, it doesn't sound too comfortable. Yeah, it, It's almost like the Khmer Rouge could have ruined pajamas if they tried it harder. Actually, oh, yeah. they didn't need to try any harder. <laughs> if I was ever going to be sworn off an aesthetic by someone who's doing something shitty in it, Ah, pajamas would be fucking illegal. You're only allowed to wear wolf-printed pajamas. I can live with that. I, I have a very, very shitty Walmart brand wolf pants that I, I swear by. Um, Didn't you rip them? I did. Yeah, it turns out when you buy shitty clothes from Walmart, they last exactly as long as you expect them to. I have an old shirt with a wolf howling. <laughs> like the two, the, the two wolf moon? Thing. Yeah, kind of like that. So, Nick... That's part one. How you feeling so far? So far, pretty good. Not too bad. Right. I, th- I, I could I could foresee uh, some facts in the future. It's um, they might start next episode. To be completely honest. Oh okay. So uh, Nick, thank you for joining me. Until everybody else, I don't have a helpful quip on. Oh yeah, um, don't use magical sand to protect yourself from insurgents. Yeah. Stupid. <laughs> Later.